We continue our look into potential buy-low players for the 2021 season. Like death and taxes, Dodger's been a Dodger. <laughs> I have That's not had uh, three co-crews yet. It works great in a fantasy league. I'm just glad I am not at the dentist. Fantasy Baseball in 15 on The Athletic. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball in 15 for Thursday, October 15th. I'm Al Melkier, and I'm here with Derek Van Riper. And DVR, we uh, started on the last episode uh, looking at some potential buy-low players. Specifically, we started with hitters. And you made an interesting comment after um, after we finished the show that I thought was really appropriate for the show. So um, we're going to start there. And you had made the comment to me that you want to have more buy-low targets on your 2021 rosters. So I'm just curious uh, as to how you arrived at that. Yeah, I guess the logic I'm following is that it was a shortened season, so the samples are are more extreme, both in the good direction and in the bad direction. And I don't think we want to overprice guys based on a 60-game season, but we shouldn't significantly underprice guys based on a 60-game season. It doesn't mean that they're are going to be 100 bounce-back players next year who all are undervalued, but uh, I just think generally there's reason to go after players who fall a lot in terms of price from year to year anyway, and it's just more true this year because of the nature of the 2020 season. So with people being uh, extra aggressive in the opposite direction, bumping guys up, I think the best way to go is to kind of zig when everybody else zags and try to comb through all these values and, and load up on some guys that disappointed in the shortened season. Now, is there any way that you're discerning between players you think who are more likely to bounce back versus those who you think maybe showed something genuinely negative in the, the 60 games? I think as this offseason goes on, I'll probably have a pretty clear rubric of what I'm looking for that is troubling and what I'm looking for that is encouraging or at least not troubling. Um, so that'll kind of separate the the ignores from the the targets. But uh, I do think there's a few things that immediately come to mind. A, a massive leap in strikeout rate is a concern. Uh, a massive drop in average exit velocity is a concern. Uh, combinations of, of those two things or maybe a major shift in a batted ball profile. If a guy's hitting the ball on the ground a lot more, uh, that's something I'd be a little bit worried about. But if you start looking at the underlying numbers and you see you know, strikeout rates and exit velocities and batted ball profiles that are pretty close to previous norms, you know, it's entirely possible that we're talking about a player that just had a one-third of a season that was riddled with some bad luck. And we know there were some strange things with the schedules too, of course, with teams only playing uh, within their region all season. So the matchups were a little bit different and that skewed some things as well. Uh, but I'm just looking for un- for hitters, especially underlying skills like strikeout rate, exit velocity, and batted ball types, and trying to see if those are within line with previous norms. Uh, that makes sense. And uh, you know, we we talked about a, a few of the underperforming hitters from 2020 who look like they could be potential buy low candidates in 2021. Got a few more I think that are worth talking about that we didn't get to on the last episode. Uh, and I'm going to start with Jose Altuve and Marcus Simeon because uh, I think another way that maybe, I don't know if maybe this is a, a way to give somebody benefit of the doubt, but if nothing else, DVR, I think that these are a couple of players 
who are really useful in illustrating how um, little weight maybe we should put on a 2020 season. Um, both Altuve and Simeon have hit much better in the postseason than they did in the regular season. So, you know, it's easy to imagine that, you know, you string those few games on to the end of the, the you know, 60 game season as if it was the beginning of the middle of a normal season. And not only that, but against generally some pretty good competition. Uh, Altuve, of course, is having a miserable postseason in terms of defense, but uh, offensively, uh, he's, he really seems locked in. He does. I, I think with Altuve, it's really complicated by the fact that I'm not sure he's going to steal a lot of bases anymore. So one of the things that drove him to that first round value and possible first overall pick value a few years ago is that he paired the unexpected power with a really nice floor and speed. He had the one season where he got 56 steals, but even going three years in a row with at least 30 bags, like that's hard to find in a guy that can win a batting title and hit for power. So if we start to lower the baseline a little bit, maybe closer to what we saw over the course of, of 2018, you know, 13 homers, 17 steals, still had the high batting average that year, uh, puts a ton of balls in play at this point still. If that's the new baseline, he's probably not being drafted as though that's going to happen coming off of a 219, 286, 344 with five homers and two steals in 48 games. I think he's still capable of getting close to that level. Maybe it's a little more power and a little less speed. Maybe you kind of flip it, right? If it was 13 homers and 17 steals before, maybe it's 17 to 20 homers now and uh, 10 to 12 steals going forward. I think the lineup context is still very good. They might lose George Springer in free agency. kind of seems like a certainty at this point. Maybe that they'll lose him. But they're still going to be one of the better lineups in the American League with the core that they have in place. And I think with El Tuve... He was a massive disappointment. Had that knee injury this year. You give him an offseason to heal. That certainly bodes well. Um, I'm looking at the the underlying numbers for him, and I see a batted ball profile that's pretty similar. It wasn't like the ground ball rate shot up through the roof. It was basically the same as it was in 2019 and within reach of 2017 and 2018. Uh, I see the average exit velocity and down only about a little more than a half mile per hour. I mean, that's not a big deal. He's never been an elite exit velocity guy, but I think it makes sense because of the type of hitter he is. If you put that many balls in play, you're going to have some low exit velocity balls that are getting mixed in, right? If you have a low 15-ish percent strikeout rate year over year, he's down at 10% even at the beginning of the StatCast era, you're probably not going to have a 90-plus average exit velocity. That just doesn't really work, right? It's just you're hitting bad balls. You're not driving everything. So, uh, I think he ticks enough boxes where I'm probably in on El Tuve with the reduced expectations that I described. He's not the peak guy that he was a couple of years ago, but he's still a very good player who I think the market might overcorrect on. Yeah, and I think that it's, you know, your interpretation or one's interpretation of Altuve's 2020 season, it's important. It's a difference maker because second base is so thin up top. That um, you know, if if he's included as a part of the the top tier, uh, there's there's really an incentive there to um, you know to pursue him more aggressively. Whereas if you think there's something there in the 2020 stats, um, you know that makes those who are left over at the top of the second base uh, top tier, uh, you know, it makes them even more valuable. Now with Simeon, it's a little bit different because there's so much depth at shortstop. And in a way, I think you can look at Simeon the way you looked at Manny Machado a year ago where you had a track record of success uh, coming off of a, a relatively down year. 
Uh, and so people kind of played it safe with Machado. I think people will do that with Simeon going into this year. And, you know, you talked about looking at the, the stat profile. I mean, Simeon in the regular season did strike out a lot more. Um, his hard hit rate not only regressed, but was really worse than anything he had posted in a long time. I'm almost wondering if he took an approach where he was trying to hit homers because he was not only striking out more, but also hitting more fly balls, but with um, with worse results. But uh, in the postseason, which of course now is over for Simeon, he struck out just once in 31 plate appearances. So I could see this as a situation where maybe Simeon in a longer season could have made some adjustments and perform much more like he did in 2019. And even thinking about just who he's been as a player over the course of his career, he had a three-year stretch from 2015 to 2017 with a 22% K rate. I mean, that's been kind of a norm for him. So for him to go from 13.7, which was a career best by a decent margin, back to something within reach of his overall career average, not a huge surprise. I agree with you. I think he was trying to replicate the power he displayed in 2019, kind of looking at some of those underlying numbers. Pretty big drop in average exit velocity, but not totally off the floor, not totally below the floor that he previously set at 86.8 back in 2018. I think part of the appeal of Marcus Simeon is that, like Altuve, he can help you in at least four categories. The key difference there, batting average for Simeon has been pretty volatile throughout his career. Uh, In 2019, he played every single game. He had 747 plate appearances. Every possible ounce of volume was squeezed out of that season. So there's almost no way he'd ever replicate those numbers unless there was more skills growth. And I think it's an easy look at the long track record, kind of see where he lands as a free agent too. I mean, obviously if you're doing an an early draft like uh, the Mason drafts or anything like that, you got to make a decision sooner. But there's a good chance he ends up in a more hitter-friendly park than Oakland. I mean, most parks are more hitter-friendly than Oakland. So (laughs) that could help boost up those per-game numbers a little bit and give him a better chance of getting at least somewhat close to the 2019 numbers, even if you can't expect that anymore. His ADP in the Mason mocks, thanks to the the, uh, Smata tool, by the way, 137.8. Nice price for him. Altuve is outside the top 100, too. So they both fit as players that I'm considering at those early prices. Gotta love that Smata tool. Very, very useful. Well, DVI, we uh, still have a few more of these uh, potentially undervalued hitters uh, to look at. So I'm just I'm going to lump them together. Uh, Josh Bell, uh, just a you know, miserable season after um, sort of a Jekyll and Hyde performance in, in 2019. Eduardo es- Escobar, who is somebody I think you may have mentioned uh, in a recent episode. Certainly very disappointing season for him. J.D. Martinez, Joey Gallo, uh, Victor Robles, who we've talked a lot about uh, in recent weeks. Um, so Bell, Escobar, Martinez, Gallo, Robles, how would you, uh, what buckets would you put them in, in terms of more likely to buy the 2020 downturn or more likely to pursue them as a buy low? Bell concerns me only because the second half of 2019 was also pretty bad. And he was hitting the ball on the ground more than ever, which was his problem when he first broke into the league was he was this guy that had a great hit tool, but he hit too many balls in the ground to unlock power. I mean, he hit three homers in his first 45 games as a rookie, and everybody said, uh-oh, it, it's going to be average, it's going to be OBP, but it's going to be low slug at first base. That's not going to play well. Came back, hit 26 homers in his first full season, hit 37 two years later in 2019. He's just been volatile to this point in his young career. Uh, I think this is kind of a, a what you see is what you get. I just wonder if that ground ball rate is correctable. Is there a mechanical adjustment he can make to his swing? Still hits the ball very hard. I think that's always a a nice floor 
sort of skill to have. Uh, we've seen a guy like Eric Hosmer kind of fluctuate a lot from year to year, and he got into a lot more power this year in San Diego because he was lifting the ball more consistently again. So you know, if you told me that Bell was going to kind of follow that Hosmer arc where he plays every day and he's a good accumulator, and if you just leave him in your lineup, you're probably going to be fine, and he's going to go around pick 150, I'm probably in there mostly because of the exit velo still being there. If he'd lost that too, that would have been enough for me to say, yeah, you know what, there's too much risk here. But we've seen these fluctuations in ground ball rate from him before. The strikeout rate is weirdly high. He's never struck out 20% of the time before. He got to 26.5. But I think this is yet another situation where I'm pretty interested. I think Escobar, of all those players, is the one that I'm most confused by. I think he's the oldest player we've talked about so far. And... No one thought his 35 home run season in 2019 was his new baseline, but I think most people looked back at 21 and 23 homers two years before that and said, well, that's safe, and he hits in the heart of that order in Arizona, so he should be fine. He's a free agent. He could end up in a more hitter-friendly environment. I think he'll be the cheapest of the players we've talked about so far. I think he's still maybe the riskiest, though, because of the the shape of his career as a whole. Like He was this utility guy that didn't have a lot of power, started hitting more fly balls, unlocked it. And I just worry that, that that's the kind of thing that doesn't necessarily age all that well. He doesn't have speed to fall back on uh, as, a, as a good categorical skill either. And you know, batting average generally is good, not great, but oftentimes pretty mediocre. He's a career 257 guy. Uh, doesn't walk a lot, so he could fall down in the batting order with his new team as well. I just think there's a, enough enough that could go wrong for him where he's a little more of a a lottery ticket, I guess, than somebody that I really trust as a clear-cut bounce back. But it's amazing. His ADP is 253 in the early mock so far. I mean, that that is enough of a discount where you're at least going to think about it because if he was going in that 150, 175 range, that'd be an easy pass. But at 250, you're just looking for a lot of playing time. And I think Escobar is going to get that with his new team wherever that might be. Yeah. And, you know, that in combination with the comment that you made about his history and, you know, not being a power hitter earlier in his career, not even being an everyday player earlier in his career. I know in my own mind that I worry about that whatever team signs him may may also view him in that vein and maybe have a, a reduced role for him. Uh, and that, you know, that would seem to be reflected in that really low ADP as well. So uh, maybe that alone makes him a good buy low. And I want to wrap up here with uh, JD Martinez and Jody, Joey Gallo. We've really we've talked quite a bit about Victor Robles recently, so I don't feel too bad about passing him over. But Martinez and Gallo are interesting because they had similar types of decline this year, and yet I'm guessing I'm not alone in giving Gallo a pass looking ahead to 2021, but building a narrative in my own mind that you know JD Martinez stick a fork in him because of his age. But is is that fair? Is that you know is that a bit lazy to to think about it that way? I'm not sticking a fork in J.D. Martinez. He's going to be UT only in most leagues. He's a little older even than Escobar. He's 33 now. Uh, I, I know that the lack of in-game video was something he complained about, and that Boston lineup just wasn't the same without Mookie Betts. How could it be? But we're talking about one of the best all-around hitters in the league in terms of his ability to use the entire field and to hit for power. He did lose a little bit of exit velo, almost two full miles per hour down to 89.5, which still isn't bad, even though it's not in the elite, you know, red part of the uh, stat cast sliders that we're accustomed to for JD. 
I mean, talk about a guy that had a four-year stretch where he hit 300 every single year, uh, hit 36 or more homers in three of those seasons, drives in 100 every single year. I, I just I think there's an easy, easy path for him to rebound. I think the Red Sox will be a little bit better next year. Uh, offensively, they weren't terrible this year either, but I think they could add in free agency. Uh, he's getting the kind of typical Nelson Cruz sort of treatment now, and he's not even quite that old, quite a bit younger than Nelson Cruz too. Yeah. So I'm looking at this as just kind of a, a shortened down year. I kind of wondered if, if JD had had you know, more runway in 2020, would we have seen just a scorching second half that would have leveled things out quite a bit because he's shown us at at his peak, he's as good as any hitter in the game when things are going well. Um, at pick 80, I'm absolutely in for JD Martinez next year. All right, and real quick, Joey Gallo, um, how much weight are you giving to this season? Not a ton, but this is not totally outside the realm of what we've seen from him before. I mean, we've seen him in the low 200s with the low 300s OBP, and the K rate is just always going to be in the 35% range. That's just who he is as a player. Weird to see him lose three miles per hour off his average exit velocity. Uh, but I think they're going to give him one more full year as a regular in that lineup. I mean, he's probably closer to a slightly above average hitter, even though if you look at 19 and, and 20, you kind of see like the wide ranges of, of his outcomes. Like 2019 was about as good as Joey Gallo can be. And 2020 is probably about as bad as he can be with those core skills. So the expectation is probably somewhere right in the middle. And we've got two seasons where he's been somewhere right in the middle in 2017 and 2018. So I think there's a chance that if I'm building a roster and he's cheaper than he has been in previous years, and it looks like based on those Mason mocks, this is the cheapest Joey Gallo has been in a couple of seasons. I'm fine investing in him. I think the usual caveats apply. You need to make sure you're getting a DJ LeMayhew or somebody early on who plays a lot with the high batting average floor to offset the, uh, the, problems that Gallo will wreak on that particular category for you. Right. Always good advice there when uh, drafting somebody with Gallo's profile. Uh, well, we uh, we haven't forgotten about pitchers. Uh, we will uh, likely get to them in our next episode, but uh, we have run out of time here for this episode of Fantasy Baseball in 15. If you're enjoying this podcast on a platform that allows you to leave a rating and a review, we'd greatly appreciate it if you do take the time to do that. For Derek Van Riper, I'm Al Melker, and we'll be right back here on Friday.